Jesus told his disciples that they would do even greater things than he did while on earth. What would it look like if a church stood in agreement that Jesus meant what he said? A church that not only believes it, but lives out this greater life on a daily basis. What would it look like to be greater? Good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. And can we welcome our online campus, our Appleton campus, our Germantown campus, everybody that's joining us. One church, multiple locations, wherever you are today, it is great to see you and great to be with you. And uh, today we're going to continue our series on greater. And there's something I want to draw your attention to in your bulletin and shell, whatever we call that, the little thing that you guys get when you come in the door. They just let me speak here. That's all I do. So uh, that inside of that is a, just a piece of paper that looks like this, front and back. And there's all the scriptures I'm going to give you today. I may not read all of them. I may just reference them. Uh, some of them I'm going to read. Some of them I'm going to reference. Um, but I do that because sometimes I have people say, you talk so fast. Thank you. And a fast-talking Southerner is very hard to understand. I, I know it's like one of those... Uh, you know, Louisiana swamp people, like I need subtitles, right? Like, shoot, Elizabeth, shoot. So, I mean, it's one of those. So I just thought, there's so many scriptures I'm going to give this to you today. And for those of you that this is your first time here, I'm from Racine County. That's where the accent comes from, just south of Wisconsin. So anyhow, um, today we're talking, we, we've been in this series about greater. And, and it comes from where Jesus says, and that you will do greater things. And as disciples of Christ, as fully devoted followers of Jesus, we should aspire to do greater things than Jesus did. That's not blasphemous. That's not uh, overambitious. That is what God has, that's what Jesus' desire is for us to do. The question is, do we actually do that? Do we actually live that way? And, uh, and so we've been in this series of how do we do that individually. And I've really focused a lot of it individually. And today will be no different. At the end of the message today, I'm going to talk about something that we can have an opportunity to apply this corporately as a church. Um, but we've talked about how it begins with a greater perspective. If we live our life in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, that God says, Jesus says, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the vertical beam of the cross, and then the cross beam is to love your neighbors yourself. If you do these things, you basically fulfill the Bible. You fulfill the law. You fulfill everything that God intended for us to do and to be. And so last weekend we talked about that God wants to do greater things in our life, and so in order to have that greater life, we have to prepare. And we went back to the Old Testament, a story in, in, in the book of Kings where it talks about, and they dug ditches because they needed God to show up and provide water, and that preparation always precedes provision. Today I want to talk to you about what I call the principle of reward. The principle of reward. And, and in this, this is not just about reward today, but it's about reward in eternity. I don't think I've ever done a message quite like this before. Um, but if we live our life today with eternity in mind, uh, our life today will be better here, but it will also be greater when we get to heaven. And, uh, and so I'm going to begin today with the end, if that makes sense. I'm going to begin with the end, and I'm going to talk to you about the judgment 
of God. And I know you're like, oh, great, man. Somebody invited me to church for the first time, and here the pastor goes. The book of Revelation, boom, it's over. I, I hope that you don't feel that way at the end of the message. But I want to explain this to you. Uh, and so the Bible says that we will be judged in heaven by what we do on earth. Every person that's ever walked the face of the planet, all six billion people today that come after us and before us will all stand before God, the Bible says. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and every one of us will give an account for our life. So the first scripture I want to give you today is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, meaning here on earth, whether good or bad. Now, there are two judgments, and I'm, I'm taking a huge theological, we would call this the eschaton. I'm taking a huge theological construct and just bringing it down to really simple terms. That's this. There's two, there's two judgments. First is what's called the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is the judgment of people who rejected Christ, who rejected Jesus as, as, as God's son. And they will stand before God. And they will give an account of why they rejected Jesus. Period. The second judgment is a judgment for those who follow Jesus. Those who, as Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, that they confess with their mouth and they believed in their heart that Jesus was who the Bible says that he was. That the Bible says that when we do that, we are saved. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our efforts. We're not saved by perfect church attendance. Amen. We're, we're saved by grace undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God. We just sang about it a few minutes ago. We're saved by that. That not of ourselves, because if it was of us, we'd become boastful, Paul says. So the reality is, is that if I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I live my life unto him, I do not have to fear hell. I want you to get that. There is no fear of hell because I, I, I'm not going there. I'm going to heaven because the Bible says that if I confess with my mouth and believe my heart, I am saved. Period. I'm not saved by my works. I'm not saved by my perfect church attendance. I'm not saved by what I give in the offering. I am saved by grace. I am saved by things that have nothing to do with me except for the fact that I choose. Because we're not rock'em, sock'em robots. God doesn't control us from some cosmic heavenly joystick. We have the power to choose. I choose to follow Jesus. And if I choose to follow Jesus, heaven's my home and I don't have to fear hell. Let me help you with something. God is not the author of fear. The Bible says, Paul says to Timothy, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now you may say you need to be respectful of God and fearful in that way, the same way I would be fearful of my father, right? Not in a mean way, but in a, that's my dad. And if I ever got a little cocky or a little mouthy, I mean, he, you know, he, you know, right? My dad could use a belt like Indiana Jones could use a whip. So, I mean, you just... Yes, sir. No problem. My dad loved me. My, to, this, to this day, I'm 44, and my dad will still hug me. Uh, I'm about 6'6", six, six, 250. My dad's probably 5'7", on a good day. And uh, my dad will still hug me and kiss me. And then he'll whisper in my ear, I can still whip you. And You understand? <laughs> There's a healthy fear there. But I'm not scared of my father. But I am fearful and, uh, in that way. Is that, you understand what I'm saying? That's how we are to, to be with God. I respect him, but I'm not scared of him. I, this is not something for you to be scared of. But it is something that we need to be informed of because, when, so, so the reality is, is then we stand before God as Christ followers, that's really where I want to focus on today, and we will give an account for our lives. We'll give an account at the judgment seat of Christ, and we will be judged according to how I live my life. Now that word judge is not a gavel uh, like a judge in a courtroom. 
that judge. Think of this like an Olympic competition. So the Olympics will be happening in Rio this summer. Incredible city if you've ever been there. Amazing city. And right there. And, and so the Olympics will be happening there. And, and so think of it like this is a coliseum of everybody who's ever followed Jesus from, from Adam all the way through to the end. And we'll stand before God and God will call your name. And you'll stand before God and you will then be judged almost like an Olympic contestant uh, based on what you did. So every person that will go into the Coliseum there in Rio this summer uh, for the Olympics, they're, they're just happy to be there. They're happy to represent their country. They, they've made it. They're, they're, this, this is it. Now, within the confines of making it, within the confines of being that Olympian, that highest level of athlete, uh, they're now wanting to compete and they're wanting to win, and they're living their life in such a way to win and to do that. And there are prizes. There are rewards. And the rewards are not all the same. Listen, when you get to heaven, everybody didn't get a blue ribbon, contrary to how it works in America today. You don't get a participation award. The participation award is you get to go to heaven, you don't go to hell. Yay! But beyond that, <laughs> there is a reward, the Bible says. And so, so the judgment is not about, like, you're right or you're wrong or you're good or you're bad. The judgment is... Is it a gold? Is it a bronze? Is it a silver? Is it honorable mention? What, what is it? That's what it is. So think of it in those terms. And so Romans chapter 14, verses 10 and 12 says, For we all stand before God's judgment seat, every one of us. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Matthew's gospel says it this way, chapter 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then will reward each person according to what he has done. That word reward in the Greek, which is the original language the New Testament's written in, means to repay wages for what someone has done. You may think heaven's enough. I don't need anything else. But the, but the reality is, is that God's going to reward us anyway. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me, and to give everyone according to his work. So there is a day coming when we will stand before God, he will call us by name, and we will give an account for the life that we lived. And based upon what we did, we will receive a reward. The reward will be in direct correlation to what we did. We did little, we'll receive little in reward. We did much, we'll receive much in reward. Here's the problem, though. The reward is not given just upon the external things that you see people do. The reward is given based upon your heart. I love what Samuel says in the Old Testament, that man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. Here's the reality. You and I can't judge one another's hearts because we don't know. We don't see. We can judge the fruit of your life, but I can't judge the root of your life. There's a difference there. The root are those internal, intangible heart issues. But the fruit of your life, I can look at it and go, you know, hey, this person's really pretty, probably a pretty good person, or they're not. But we can all kind of smokescreen each other, and we can kind of put on our own masks, and we can put on our Sunday best, and we can yell at our kids and yell at our spouses on the way to church. And as soon as the minivan hits the church parking lot, hey, how you doing, brother so-and-so? Good to see you. God bless you. Shut up, kids. Let's just praise the Lord, right? We can't do that with God. And what he's judging is not the externals. He's judging the internals. This is when it would be much easier for him to judge externals. That's not what he judges. Look at how the Bible says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. If any man builds his house on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. 
Because the day, speaking of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. So here's what happens. This side of eternity, everything that I do is going towards an eternal reward, or should. Now we say we believe the Bible. We say we follow Jesus. But do we live today with that reward in mind? Do I do what I do today for that reward in mind, or do I do it for reward today? Eternity will reveal that. What I give of my time, of my talent, the ability that God's given me, of my treasure, the resources that I have, how liberal I am, how much of a blessing I am, how truly I give and I serve my fellow man, how really truly I love the Lord God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, how I love my neighbors, myself. That will all be tried, the Bible says, by fire. Now, this isn't, this isn't uh, kind of a metaphorical type of, of ideology back to the Old Testament uh, where they would take the sacrifice and they would put it on the altar and the fire would consume the sacrifice. Much is what will happen when we stand before God, we will, in essence, put our reward. Here's what I did. God's going to say, Aaron, I gave you these talents, these abilities, these callings. What did you do with it? And that will all be tested by fire. What does that mean? That'll be tested. It will, it will burn off every impurity and only the pure, only the true, only what matters will last. The Bible says in the book of Leviticus that the fire of God forever burns at the altar. I will lay it on the altar of God, and only what's there when it's all done, only what I did that was pure, only what I did that was real, only what I did that was truly what God asked me to do, only what happened in that manner, that's what will last. This is not happening in a closed room between just me and God. This is happening in front of everybody. See, this is the reason why Paul says to Timothy that if you want to be an elder in the church, you want to be a teacher in the church, you want to be a leader in the church, you want to be a pastor, a minister, and a missionary, you are going to be tried for what you do as a Christ follower, but you're also going to be tried for what you've done as a shepherd. That's the reason why you don't ever have to worry what the pastor's doing. The pastor's going to stand before a holy God one day and give an account for everything he says. Every message I've preached, every bit of pastoral counsel that I've given, everything that I've done in the office of pastor as a minister. It's beyond even when I, I'm submitted to a local, local elder uh, board here at Life Church. I'm submitted, I'm, I am submitted to a, uh, a fellowship of, of pastors and, and, and churches uh, uh, here in the state, in the United States, with the, with, with the credentialing committee that I'm, I'm submitted to. I, I, have, I have that. But beyond all of that, I'll stand before God and give an account for every single thing. So, so sometimes when I hear people say, well, what about... No, 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 we're all going to give an account. You're going to give an account, and I'm going to give an account. And when you stand there, I'm not next to you. When you stand there, your sweet grandmother, God rest her soul, that loved Jesus is not standing next to you. Your mother's not standing next to you. There's nobody pleading your case. Some of you have people that work run interference for you in your life, and they've been doing that your whole life. Those people won't be there. It will be you and God, and God will say, Aaron, I gave you these abilities. What did you do? And here's the good news. You're not judged against anybody else. Thank God. I'm not judged against Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. I'm not, I'm not judged against anybody else, against any of the disciples. You know, um, I mean, Judas, I judge me against him. But, I mean, besides that, I don't really want to be judged, right? The reality is I'm going to be judged based upon what God gave me, what he called me to do, how I live my life. God's going to judge you based upon what he called you to do. Well, he didn't call me. Oh, no, 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 contrary, Mo Farah, the Bible says... 
that the work of the local pastor is to equip the saints. That's you to do the work of ministry. I'm not the saint in the equation. You are. But man, I work for the sanitation department. I work at the factory. I work in an office complex. I, I, I freelance. I'm a consultant. I, I'm an engineer. I, I'm a doctor. I'm a, but you are a Christ follower. And that is the ability and a calling that God's given you. How do you leverage that for eternity? That's what you'll be judged on. That's what I'll be judged on. Well, that's easy for you. Really? See, it's, in my world, in my line of work, it's very easy to smokescreen people. A few months ago, I got a phone call from, from a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. Very nice suburb, very nice area, like California. It's all great. It's all good. And, um, and so they called and they said, hey, you know, this is a, a church. And they described the church. It was a large church, established church. Da, 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 da. Your name's been given to us. And there's been several people that recommended you. And we'd like to know if you'd like to have a conversation with us. We'd like to talk to you. And then from there, maybe fly your family out and just kind of come and talk and see if you want to be our pastor of our church. That happens throughout a pastor's time, right? That, that's just kind of how that goes. So, but here's what I know. I know God called me to Germantown. I know God called me to Life Church. I know God called me here. And I rested my case a long time ago to say, God, I want this, that, and the other. Just palms up, God. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. If I have my wish, I'll, I'll, I'll live the rest of my life here. But, but again, I gave up my right. So if at some point in time God says, hey, Aaron, Tammy, you're going to Istanbul. We're going to Istanbul. It's just what it is. Not, yeah, thank you. I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> um, I'll do what God wants me to do. Does that make sense? But I know that God's called me here. So there may be some creature comforts at that place. There may be some things that appeal to me at that place. There may be some things that they've already navigated a few things that I've still got to navigate and all that kind of stuff. And there's all of this. And here's what I can do. I can come in and go, oh, you know what? It's a bigger this or a bigger that or it's more of this or more of that or, or it's more strategic. And I can shred it in all kinds of spiritual terms. I can say, you know what? It's been wonderful here and God's blessed, but now God's moving me on. You have no way of knowing, but when I stand before God, all that will be revealed. So it looked like for 50 years I lived my life in the ministry, but the reality, I was going from place to place to place. I was what I call totem pole type ministry where I'm just trying to notch my way up, bigger, better, who will pay me more, what's going to happen. I'm basically a hireling. And on the outside, I'm shredding in Christian terms of, you know, well, God's moving and God's speaking. No, he's not. That's me. That's my pride. That's my. But on the outside, I'm preaching God's word and I'm loving and I'm doing and I'm. But the reality is, is that that's not what God called me to. God called me to Germantown. God called me to Life Church. God called me to be here. And, I, and, and, and my point with that is, is that even in what I do, it's probably more easy for me to use Christian terms and to hide my motives. And you never know it, but when I stand before God that day, and you'll be in that Colosseum that day, and I'll be in that Colosseum that day, and I will have served God all of those years, all of that will be tried. All of that will be basically wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned up. That's the reason why. What I'm trying to say is, is that when we live our life, we live it unto Jesus. We live life palms up. You don't have to worry. There's coming a day where it's all going to come out in the wash, baby. It's all going to settle out. The good, the bad, the ugly, what's been done in secret, the Bible says, will be brought to light. The only thing that will be covered is the sins that we've asked Jesus Christ to forgive us. And those sins, the Bible says, he takes them and casts them as far as the east is from the west. God remembers them no more, which means on that day, that's not judged and held against me. So how is your work tested? There's four basically tests that check the purity of what we do. And just so you know, I'm 
not moving to California, you have no desire. I don't even like their football team. Amen? We're okay. <laughs> but I just, want you to, I just want you to understand, sometimes I think you get, we hear this and go, oh, it's easy for him. No, it's probably, probably much easier for me to, to, to not do this correctly than it is if I were working as an engineer uh, at uh, GE or whatever. All right, so first test is a test of relationship. It's a test of relationship. Am I doing this because I love God? Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I giving to my time, my talent, my treasure, whatever it may be? Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 4 says, I know your deeds. This is on your sheet there. Your hard work and your perseverance, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Serving is not the issue. Giving is not the issue. Tithing is not the issue. Going to church isn't the issue. The issue is why do you do it? You're not always going to like it. It's not always going to be great. But why do you do it? Do you serve because you love? Do you give because you love? Do you, you know, the Bible even says that even as we give, even as you give today, you should never give with a, uh, a disdain or a grumbling or under pressure, under duress. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because God wants you to give out of love. And if you don't give out of love, it doesn't count. The next test is the test of motive. Are you doing it because you want others to see? Or are you doing it because you're looking for an eternal reward? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by man. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. The question is, why are you giving? Are you giving to get? Or are you giving because that's what God's told you to do? It's real simple. The Bible says this, as followers of Jesus Christ, I didn't write the book, so don't, don't email me. Email God at hotmail.com. I, I, don't, I don't get editorial privilege over this. The reality is, is that tithing, when it comes to finances, is biblical. You and I can go back and forth. I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm done with this conversation. I've had so many wranglings with this. If you want to go New Testament, then you, you give 90% and live on 10. You want to do communal living? No, I didn't think so. That's the reality. That's how they lived in the first. They, they would buy a piece of property and give everything they had to the church. They would sell a piece of property. They would sell a house and give everything they have to the church. Never seen that happen in my lifetime. No, 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 no. So, it's, it's, so, it's, so God says, look, the tenth is out of obedience. So we give that to God in obedience. The 90% is what I want to do with it. That's mine. That's what we call a free will offering. That's your choice. The reality is, is that why am I tithing? Why am I giving of my finances? What's my heart? Look, nobody knows that but you. I don't know that. That's why the amount's not what's important. Jesus saw the rich at the synagogue that day, throwing in and just, you know, $100 bills, y'all. You understand what I'm saying? Just chunking it in and then had a woman, you know what I'm talking about, had a woman with a widow's mite, less than two cents, put it in the offering. She gave all she had. Jesus is standing there as they're putting in their money in the offering. Don't think he's not looking. And he says, this woman gave everything. These rich individuals gave some. That's the problem with Cain and Abel back in Genesis. Abel gave his first fruits to God. Cain gave some. Read it. In the original Hebrew and also in your translation, it'll say it the exact same way. It's attitude in my heart. God, you're first. Here. 
Why am I arguing about 10%? This is yours. I believe you can bless the 90 more than you can bless the 10. Here it is. God, if you, there's a missionary that comes and stands on this platform, I'm giving it because I want, I, want that, I want the word of God to go around the world. And, Lord, if you want me to do something, I'll do something. You want me to give something for my company, I'll give something. You want me to go, I'll go. You want my children to be called into vocational ministry? God, I, they are yours. Isn't that what we do on a regular basis when all these young couples with these beautiful little, little chubby little kids are all up here and they're drooling and crying and everything else and we're presenting them before the Lord the way Hannah did before Samuel? The reality is, is that why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it for everybody else to see? Is it for people to clap and applaud? Is it because it's what's expected? Or is it coming from a heart? The next test is the test of love. Are you doing what you do because you truly love others? Listen, love is a fruit of the Spirit of God. You and I don't have the ability to really love other people beyond ourselves without God. We love conditionally. God loves unconditionally. The only way I can love some people is through Jesus. Let's just be honest. You the same way. And don't point right now. It's not very nice. That's it. There are some people who just get on your nerves. Some of you just don't like. It's okay. So how do you love those people? Lord, love, help me for your love to flow through me. I don't understand them. I don't get them. Quite frankly, God, they irritate me. I'm sure they irritate you too. But you love them anyhow. <laughs> love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. If I give all of my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flame, which means I, I, I'm a martyr, but I have not love, I have gained nothing. And the last is the test of eternity. Are you connecting eternity to the things that you do? Are you connecting eternity to the things that you do? We, we're not just doing social justice. We're, we're, not, we're, we're, we're not just doing acts of goodwill. That's, are we connecting Jesus to what we're doing? So I tell you. These are all, and there's this passage there, just Luke 16, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to continue on for time today, but am I doing it in that way? So how do I get treasure in heaven? How does that work? I'm so glad you asked. You cannot take what you have with you, but you can send it ahead. I heard Charles Stanley, the great uh, uh, first Baptist of, of, of Atlanta. I was driving the other day, and I heard him on the radio. I don't know, Charles is in his late 70s now, pastoring that great church for decades and he made that statement. And he talked about this principle of reward. And I thought, that is so awesome. I love that phrase. I cannot take it with me, but I can send it ahead. I didn't come up with this. This is and neither to Charles. It's in the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So if we're going to store up treasure in heaven, there's three things we have to do. One, we have to realize that God owns everything. He owns everything. There's a scripture right there in your, in your notes. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 29. It talks about how God owns everything. He owns everything. We're, we don't own anything. We think we do, but we don't. Our house, we don't really own it. It's his. Our finances, we don't own it. It's his. Our life, we don't own it. It's his. Our kids, we don't own them. They're his. Praise God. Right, man? We don't own it. And how many times do we say, but that's mine, but that's mine, but that's mine? How many times do we look at it that way? You know, I, I have two daughters, and I remember I used to do these little daddy-daughter dates. We still do now, but they're a little bit more 
complex than what they used to be. Used to, we'd go to a Disney movie, right? I saw every animated Disney movie multiple times. So we'd go to Disney, and I remember one time taking Anna and Ava, and we were going, and of course, uh, Ava I had to get the little booster chair for, and so we got go in, and, and then they have all the candy and everything, which is where the movie theaters make their, their money, and we lose ours. And so uh, we go in, and so they had all these little little kid snack packs, and there were Skittles in this one, and, and popcorn, and a little soda, and so I'm getting them off for that, and I'm sitting between both of them, and I'm watching, ah, whatever it was. I don't, they all sound the same, right? So it's all of this. You have to understand, I was raised with all guys, right? I mean, I mean, all guys. I mean, just everybody walked around in their underwear. There was no issue. That's just the way it was. You're just all guys. I, you know, all girls, totally different, completely different. Why are you crying? I don't know. Okay. I, totally different world. So I'm trying to embrace this world, and I leaned over to Ava. She was probably four, five, six at the time. I leaned over. She's a little thing, and, and I just said, uh, I just said, hey, can I have some Skittles? And she said, no. <laughs> she looked at me. I said, just give me some Skittles, just a couple of Skittles. Be good. No. I said, why won't you give me Skittles? She said, because they're mine. And in that moment, I, I was just thinking for a second, no, 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 no. I don't think you pay for anything here. <laughs> I think I drove us, I paid for it, I did everything. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I can go to the concession stand and I can buy every stinking bag of Skittles they had. I can pour out the rainbow on you, baby, for as long as you want. All I want is a couple of Skittles. That's how we approach God. He gives us our life. The Bible says in Him we live and we move and we have our being. And then when He begins to ask something of us, we go, no, it's mine. He didn't want the whole bag. See, it's easy to talk about Skittles. We all kind of go into contractions when we talk about, uh, you know, uh, uh, dollars and cents. It's like, oh, uh, heart palpitations. Oh, dear God. It's a big one, Elizabeth. The, the, the reality <laughs> in all of this is this. It's an issue of understanding I don't own anything. It's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home. There's nothing wrong with, with blessing your family. There's nothing wrong with driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank and retirement. And all. I'm not preaching against any of that stuff. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying to you is there's something wrong when things have you. And when you look at your little handful of Skittles and you go, they're mine, when God asks for one, something's wrong. And who knows that? Does the pastor know that? No. Does the church know that? No. Does anybody on your row right now know that? No. Who knows that? You and God. So when that missionary comes and God speaks to your heart about writing out a check that's bigger than your house payment that month, and you just kind of go, no, it's mine. When God asks you to bless and send your children out and you, into ministry, and you go, no, they're mine. When, when God speaks to you about moving and going into a, and, and we're serving in a ministry and you look at the amount of time that you have in a week and you know it's the voice of God, not the pastor, not someone else, you go, no, it's mine. You have now owned your life instead of stewarding your life. And you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, will stand before God and give an account of how we manage those things. We've got to realize if we want treasure in heaven, that God owns everything. Secondly, we've got to manage everything that we have on his behalf. If I'm but a steward, I manage it on his behalf. God, how do you want me to handle my life? God, how do you want me to handle my week? God, how do you want me to handle my kids? God, how do you want me to handle my marriage? God, how do you want me to handle my business? How do you want me to handle my finances? How do you want me to handle this? 
I'm telling you. How do you want me to handle this? Do you ask that question? Do you push back the checkbook? Do you push back the calendar? Do you take a moment and just say, God, if my life is yours, what do you want me to do? Don't come ask me what I want you to do. I'm not in the equation. This isn't my business. This is how I live my life. I can just tell you right now, this is why God's blessed my life. I was on a silent prayer retreat this fall, and it was on Psalm 23. Silent prayer retreat and me don't really go well together, but you understand. And, and, and the, the leader of the retreat said, you know, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so we were kind of reflecting on that and processing that and had an afternoon to pray about that. And in that afternoon, it hit me. Like, there is nothing in my life that I want. I don't have a need for uh, more a uh, 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 house. God's blessed me. I don't have. I have a wonderful wife. I have wonderful children. I have a wonderful home. I I have a wonderful church. I, I have. You know. I got issues. Me that my own fallen nature. But there's. And it was like, when you you stop and you look at that, when you live life, according to God, what do you want me to do? I'm just managing on your behalf. Listen, it makes it a whole lot easier. You know why the Millers can leave here and leave a great salary here? They'll never make the money on the mission field that they're making at Life Church. They'll never do what they're doing there. I'm not speaking that over them. I'm just simply just making a statement. Why are they going to basically sell everything they have, relegate their life to four suitcases and move? Because they understand their life is not their own. Why does Tammy and I move 12, 14 hours away from everything that we know and a very comfortable situation in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Because this is what God's called us to. This is where, this is what he's asked us to do. And we're not begrudging. We're happy to do it. Why do people give of their life? Why did that? Jesus said, will not a man or a woman leave house and home and mother and father and sister and brother for my sake that they won't receive a 20, a 30, 40, 50, 60, even a hundredfold in this lifetime? Because it's not our life. And I know there's going to be a day I'm going to stand before God and I can dodge you and I can smokescreen you and I can shred it in all kinds of spiritual terms. Well, the Lord was leading me. No, he wasn't. It was my own greed. It was my own pride. It was my own ego. I wanted a bigger stage. I wanted a bigger room. I wanted to speak to 6,000 people on a weekend. That's, what I, that's all about me. That's all about my narcissistic, self-grandizing self. When Jesus says, I have to come to the end of me, I have to crucify my flesh, and I have to follow him. And not just me, you have to do that. And sometimes that means you don't take the job. Sometimes that means that you don't go into this. Sometimes that means that you do that. Sometimes it means you, def- you delay or defer a, 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 a pleasure or what you're wanting. Because that's what God's asking of you. Again, that's between you and God. Managing everything on his behalf. And lastly, focusing your whole life towards the eternal. Your whole life towards the eternal. There's one last verse on your little scripture handout that I want to read. Philippians 3, 18, 19, and 20. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. One question. 
do you eagerly await Jesus? Did you get up this morning going, today the trumpet of the Lord could sound and time could be no more. I can't wait. Did you get up today and go, hey, today this is what could do. Did you get up this week and said, today, Jesus, you could come back. Do, 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 do we live life that way? That's the real question. Let's pray.